Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Weekend at Dave's. I am your host, David Silbert, and we have a jam-packed schedule for this episode. Lots of big game news that happened the past week. Uh, this is the weekend before Thanksgiving weekend, uh, coming out a little bit after the weekend itself, because a lot of news, a lot of trouble consolidating this into a short episode for you guys, but I am going to try to keep it brief on these topics, but it, these these topics are too important not to touch on individually, so prepare yourselves. First things first, let's talk about two of the biggest news coming out of this week, actually three, with regards to video game publishers. We had big news coming out of Microsoft, Sony, and Square Enix. Starting with Microsoft, Microsoft held its big XO18 event, which was a a live episode of Inside Xbox marketed towards Xbox fans, more of a hands-on talk through what they're working on. An interesting kind of event, almost kind of like Microsoft's take on PSX in a way. But in the case of this event, it didn't end up being quite as exciting as a typical PSX event. Big news were various expansions and d bits of DLC for games like Forza Horizon, State of Decay, Sea of Thieves, you know, continuous post-launch support for these titles, plus some gameplay, a new gameplay look at Crackdown 3, the new release date in February, along with the announcement that Crackdown 1 would be free uh, until the end of November for Xbox fans, some new Game Pass titles, yada, yada, yada. The biggest news coming out of this event, in my opinion at least, and the one that's worth mentioning, is Microsoft announcing that they'd purchased two, not just one new studio, but two new studios, Obsidian and In Exile. We knew about Obsidian ahead of time, thanks to some good reporting from Kotaku, but even still, it's interesting to see Microsoft pull the trigger on not just Obsidian, but also In Exile. The two were in many ways kind of competitors with one another because they both did isometric, or still do, isometric role-playing games. Notable games for Obsidian are Pillars of Eternity and Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire. And for In Exile, Wasteland, Wasteland 2, the upcoming Wasteland 3, yeah, this is interesting news. Part of me thinks that Microsoft buying Obsidian could mean that they have slightly larger plans, bigger plans for them. It's no secret to anybody that isometric RPGs, they cater to a niche, right? They cater to a specific niche of people, and they're not exactly... They could be AAA in nature, but they're not exactly the system sellers that you'd expect Microsoft to try to get behind for its Xbox lineup, so to say. Obsidian, they're also capable of doing stuff that's not isometric. You can look at Fallout New Vegas, where a lot of people still to this day will say that Fallout New Vegas had the best writing out of any Fallout game to date. So Obsidian brings to the table some phenomenal writers and people that just know how to make an RPG. And I think with them specifically, you're not actually tethered to isometric. It is kind of what they're known for. But regardless of what they end up doing, I think that's a solid acquisition for Microsoft. In Exile is interesting because their games are not quite as well received, I would I would think. Um, I think there's evidence to, sh to support that if you look up on Metacritic scores or just aggregate review scores for these games. In general, I think 
Obsidian has kind of been the creme de la creme of isometric with uh, In Exile also providing some 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 good games like Wasteland 2. And I'm excited to see really what Microsoft does with them as well, whether or not they combine the two studios somehow or have them collaborate on a joint isometric title, whether or not they have them both branch out and do some sprawling open world third person RPG or first person RPG. It's possible with the right resources, right? So that was a big event. Big announcements coming out of that XO18 event. Uh, not really sure how that's going to pan out, but really, now that Microsoft has, with the addition of those two studios, Microsoft's really on a roll with these purchases. So now that makes seven new studios, internal studios at Microsoft, six of which they've purchased. So the, the running tally right now is Playground Games, Forza Horizon 4, right? One of the best games of the year. Undead Labs, behind State of, the, State of Decay 2. Ninja Theory, behind Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Compulsion Games, behind the recent We Happy Few. The Initiative, which is a brand new studio spawned with talent from other Microsoft studios. And now, Obsidian and In Exile. So this is an interesting lineup here. It's very exciting to wonder what could be the future of Microsoft with these new additions. And I have a feeling that they might still have some plans to purchase some assets or IP. I don't think this is it for Microsoft. But when you consider the fact that Game Pass is trying to make everything day one or at least soon after launch available on Game Pass for everybody, it's a really, really smart business decision for Microsoft, at least on paper. And I think... Well, who knows whether or not their days of going toe-to-toe -to -toe against Sony with the big AAA, big-budget exclusives, if that's come to an end or not. I still think they have some cards to play. I think we definitely cannot count them out next generation. And, I mean, they're building up. I, I see... I've always said it. I've been saying it for a long time now. Playground Games is their strongest asset. Forza is a great franchise, but you take Forza Horizon, the people that make the brains behind that, and you give them some room to breathe, some money, some production assets, and you let them go to town on a new open world game. And there's no reason why Playground Games shouldn't be able to find their next Horizon Zero Dawn, you know? So, Gorilla, if they're able to go from a first-person shooter like Killzone and bring us Horizon Zero Dawn, then the sky's the limit, really, for Playground, a studio that had all they've done is open world games and done it successfully to boot. I'm much less opinionated on Undead Labs, uh, Compulsion Games. We know nothing about the initiative. Ninja Theory, again, interesting acquisition from E3. Um, yeah, it remains to be seen how these other studios slot in, but with Obsidian and In Exile, you really have other kind of heavy hitter RPG studios now that you're bringing into the fold. So you're really covering your bases between open world RPG, linear action game, shooters. What's not to love? The second big publisher-related news to come out of this week was Sony skipping E3 2019. They announced that they will not be attending the conference, uh, the exhibition. You know, this is interesting because Sony had just recently said that they were not coming to, they would not be hosting at PSX this year either. So... You know, the buzz around the internet and, and, and kind of what I thought as well was that Sony is gearing up for the future and they're at the same time 
they seem to be taking a bit of a cue from Nintendo and EA and other publishers that have taken their stuff away from the exposition in recent years, right? I see Sony moving away from the exposition, but not necessarily saying that they're done completely. They've hinted at the fact that they're, they haven't announced anything, but I still see them bringing something to the fold, at least during that time frame. So Nintendo got some flack initially when it went all in on the directs and completely skipped the, the live presentation, but I think it's paid dividends for them, really, literally, because for Nintendo... Now they're year-round just always hyping up their games. We talked about this. We touched upon it briefly during the last show where we talked about Smash Brothers and just the, literally a direct dedicated to one game. And Sony already kind of had that a little bit last year where they chose to have different themed rooms that attendees walked from for, during the conference. I mean, that's almost as directish as you can get, really honing in on a couple of games and giving a couple of key details um, in Sony, they like to let the gameplay do the talking. Nintendo likes to kind of talk a lot, and sometimes Microsoft's a little bit just too much talking, period. No gameplay. But, yeah, I see this being a combination of two things. I could see this being a thing that... I mean, the short-sighted thing to say would be that they're gearing up for PlayStation 5, which I think is absolutely true, and they don't have a lot to show because, think about it, all their studios have kind of come up to bat already and hit, right? Hit their ground rule double or their their home run or their grand slam or what what have you. But they've all come up in a different way and contributed. Now the only games left for Sony are Days Gone, which Sony itself doesn't seem too confident in. Then you have Last of Us 2, which will be fantastic, but we've seen it, right? Spider-Man's already been shipped. So we've seen Last of Us 2. We've seen a little bit of Tsushima. We've seen a little bit of Death Stranding. You can't really base an E3 around that, around those three games. So it makes sense. It makes sense that that's why they're starting this now, but I see this also potentially being a, a, I mean, this is the first time in, what is it, 24 years that they haven't been to E3, and you couple this with the fact that they've canceled the, or they've decided they weren't going to host PSX 2019, uh, 2018, and that just tells me two things. I think they're, they're reevaluating, they're reevaluating the way that they do these presentations and how they get their information across to the consumer, and of course, they are gearing up for the next generation of consoles. I think it's a they go hand in hand. But I just think that this could be a trend even after the PS5 is announced. So don't be surprised if there's no more Sony at E3, period, you know? Uh, it's kind of interesting because with that, I'm also wondering what the state of PSVR is. Uh, they've discounted several SKUs going into the holiday season. I'm wondering if... These big PS4 exclusives, you know, this is the extent of what we're going to see out of them, and there's not going to be any other studios coming to the plate. I'm satisfied with the amount of PlayStation 4 exclusives we've got, and Vita, rest in peace. But for PSVR, I'm interested to see. I think it's critical of Sony to continue to broadcast in some way, shape, or form new Sony announcements, because if that's all they have and they're done for the next year or so, PSVR is going to look a lot less appealing, even with that brief price drop around the holiday season. Because I think with Astrobot and Moss and a couple other heavy hitters, you have some great content to push that that hardware. But without a constant stream of hyping up your stuff like Nintendo does, it remains to be seen how they can continue to kind of build on that momentum for PSVR. One of the other thoughts that crossed my mind is perhaps the solution for Sony is to make that hardware that they have just cross-generational, so that PSVR might actually very well 
be usable on the PS5, but I have no doubt that we're going to get an upgraded hardware of sorts. So I feel like that's not... It's a play they could certainly make, but I would very much like to see some software between then and now, especially if, if like many others, I'm considering going in on PlayStation VR finally uh, this holiday season. Moving on to the final publisher news of the week, we have Square Enix, and boy, oh boy, is this a big one. This is I wanted to headline the show with this, but I wanted to find a way to kind of go into this. I feel like PlayStation and Microsoft might have been more important to the vast majority of people listening in, but for those that are RPG fans like myself, man, this one hurts. So, news came out recently, a couple days ago, that Final Fantasy XV, which had several DLC packs planned for the next uh, planned for 2019, uh, Arden, Aranea, Luna, and Noctis, all those packs have been canceled, save the Arden one, just because it's been developed for several months now and it's close to being done. So Final Fantasy XV's DLC has been essentially the rest of it. The remaining roadmap for anything fifteen related has been canceled. Hajime Tabata, the director of Final Fantasy XV, has been, well, I shouldn't assume has been let go. He has resigned as from his position as director of, or creative director of Luminous Studios, and he's leaving Square Enix. And yeah, so it's a, a bit of a domino effect, right? Square Enix posted a loss of 3,733 million yen, which equates to $33 million dollars. That's a $33 million loss for Luminous Studios, right? So this is a bit of a domino effect, right? We don't really know what came first, the chicken or the egg, or in this case, Tabata leaving Square Enix leading to the studio deciding, hey, we can't do this. We're going to have to cancel the DLC. And then Square Enix reporting this $33 million loss in their financial statement, or sorry, not their financial statement, in their financial reporting to investors. Or it's the other, other way around, and Square Enix, this is probably the more likely scenario, Square Enix decided that Final Fantasy XV post-launch content has not been profitable for the company. They canceled the DLC, and they gave Tabata an option, or an either an option of whether or not he wanted to stay with Luminous and work on something new, or someplace else in Square Enix, or they had him quietly resign. We don't really know the details. Square Enix is a relatively secretive company and up there with Nintendo in terms of secrecy and NDAs, I'm sure. But this is this strikes close to home for me because Final Fantasy 15 was a game many people know for me. It was a game that I was extremely hyped about. I remember back to 7th grade when I when it was first announced in 20 in 2006. I was looking forward to Final Fantasy versus 13. Final Fantasy versus 13, right? Final Fantasy 13 as well, but I was I was as excited for Final Fantasy versus 13 as just about anybody, me and my friends, all great lovers of JRPGs. And to see Final Fantasy 13 come out in 2010 and be just okay, right? In terms of how good a Final Fantasy game can be, that was disappointing for all of us, I think, but it really did it was a bummer for me, and then all my hope, all my hype, all my expectations rested on Final Fantasy Versus 13's shoulders. So I became, you know, I got to know the name of Tetsuya Nomura very well. I followed the news quite often, daily almost. And so to see Tabata come in 
reinvigorate the franchise after it was seemingly vaporware. That was a great moment for me. Counted down the, day, counted down the days for Final Fantasy XV to launch. Watched the trailer every day, all the trailers. It got to be a little bit crazy, honestly. And game came out. Was okay. I played it. I did not finish it. You know, a lot of missed potential after, especially after we learned that a lot of it had kind of launched unfinished. But the good news was that it seemed like Lumino Studios and Tabata, despite the engine difficulties, despite all the creative difficulties making this game happen, they were going to go back to the drawing board, bring some new ideas to the table in the form of DLC. Right? We got one of the those passes that had episodes for Gladio, Prompto, and Ignis. But this second wave of DLC was supposed to be something major for the series, at least. Again, you know, from my expectations, just seeing what they did with the Royal Edition and, you know, fleshing out parts of the second half of the game and adding some boat controls. I mean, it just seemed like the sky was the limit for this game. (laughs) Limit. But... Yeah, I mean, I don't really know. It's It sucks to hear that the game was not profitable post-launch. I I kind of have my doubts that the game was profitable to, to begin with because they were still citing just how much it shipped, not how much it sold. So how we don't really know how popular Final Fantasy XV was with people, honestly. So it's tough to see how popular the DLC would have been, right? And really, you know, I could be upset, as upset as I want to be about Final Fantasy XV. I was waiting for all the DLC to be completed before I got back in and played it on whatever the best-looking console possible, you know, for this game that I have, which would be a base PS4. I originally had it on Xbox One, was going to rebuy the Royal Edition for PS4 and all the new DLC, or consider buying a PlayStation 4 and Xbox One X or getting a gaming PC, because this game means so much to me. But at the end of the day, I noticed something when this news came out. It wasn't, it was a little bit disappointment for the game and, and Lumino Studios as a whole and feeling like I was let down. But really, I just feel bad for Tabata because this man works very hard. We talk about how hard Sakurai works for Nintendo. But you can tell that this wasn't something that he wanted. He was passionate about this game. He was passionate about its future. And it sucks to see that he was either let go or had to leave or decided to leave because the game got shuttered, right? Now, there is news coming out that Lumino Studios itself will be working on a AAA RPG for next-gen consoles. And that's good to know that they're working on something new and they can start something fresh. But man, it's a bummer to see such a huge loss, financial loss, and also a personal loss for the studio moving forward. So it's going to be interesting to see how they evolve from that moving forward. But man, end of an era for Final Fantasy 15, end of an era for those who followed Tabata like myself. Man, thank you, Tabata. Outside of gaming news, there were a couple other big things that happened this week. Um, some exciting, some a little not so much. Starting on the positive stuff, we had two new movie trailers that were really, really big. At least when you think of the names, you know these are massive movies. Detective Pikachu and Toy Story 4. So these popped up either within a day of each other or mere hours of one another. I think it was in the same day. And, you know, I'm not the biggest Toy Story fan, but I know tons of people who are. I know it's kind of Pixar's flagship franchise, if you will. I loved, loved the ending of Toy Story 3. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of the movies, 
but man, that ending of Toy Story 3 made me tear up. So, you know, hearing that they're working on Toy Story 4, I mean, we knew they were working on it, but, you know, getting to see this pop up again in your Twitter feed or whatever, it's it's kind of bittersweet because the series kind of feels like it's over, but yet we're getting another one. And even Tom Hanks said that he couldn't make it through, barely could make it through the end of his lines for this movie. So I don't know how they're going to top Toy Story 3, but... Man, I mean, it's a monumental challenge, but I'm, I mean, if there's any studio, film studio that can do it, it's Pixar. The trailer itself, like this new teaser, the first teaser, I mean, there's nothing really crazy about it. It's just all the various toys from Andy's chest playing together in the background. There's Judy Collins' version of Both Sides Now, a little melancholy vocals and almost, I don't know, very childlike emotional way in which the characters are prancing around and enjoying each other's company and being happy, I guess, for the end, right? It's a little bit bittersweet, but there's not much else to the trailer. We know it's coming next summer. Uh, there's a little comical moment with that, like, utensil toy that it's like, hey, I'm not supposed to be here. But other than that, that was not, you know, nothing crazy for, for that teaser, but it was nice to have. The other one that's really taken the internet by storm recently was Detective Pikachu. You got, you know, this is crazy. The vast majority of people that saw this trailer with Ryan Reynolds were thinking, oh my God, this is like, this feels like Deadpool. And because Ryan Reynolds, sure, you know, it's like a kid-friendly version of Deadpool, kind of, but with realistic Pokemon that kind of look crazy. I mean, that looks a little scary, frightening. But the biggest takeaway is this is based off of a game, Detective Pikachu, that nobody played. The vast majority of people that watched, there are 44 million plus views on this right now. To put that in perspective, I think the Toy Story 4 trailer has about 11.5 million. So this almost quadrupled the views of Toy Story 4. I mean, an internet phenomenon. Nobody is going to know that this game, that this movie comes from a video game. Like, almost nobody is going to realize that. Because, I mean, the game was, it was like a digital only, or maybe not. It was a, for the most part, a game that was... Not marketed heavily. It was not like a mainland Pokemon game. It was more of a digital download kind of thing. They had the Amiibo. But this was not a big release in any way, shape, or form. It was out in Japan months before it came to the U.S. It's weird that we're getting a Hollywood adaptation of this. This is kind of crazy. It's groundbreaking, too. Like, why do we not have a live-action Pokemon movie with Ash and Brock and Misty before this? You know? Even still, I mean, this... Even if we're not doing the soft or hard reboot of the original Pokemon series in movie form, getting Hollywood... I mean, this this is cool. Like, this is a... Hopefully, this can be a really good video game movie because Lord knows we need some good video game movies, huh? So, yeah, we had some interesting trailers coming out this week, coupled with some unfortunate news. Uh, the passing of Stan Lee... Absolute legend in the Marvel Universe, in comic book universe, entertainment universe in general. You know, I'm not, I don't know much about the guy. I, don't, I'm, I was never a big comic book guy growing up, but seeing the impact that Stan Lee had on entertainment culture as a whole is wonderful to see. And, you know, it's kind of tough to see how, how he was, the whole lawsuits happening at the end of his life was unfortunate. And, you know, I don't know, I'm not well-versed enough on the subject to be like, oh, like he was getting bullied or he was trying to take advantage of anybody. I don't really know the specifics of that. But what I do know is, you know, it's it's tough to see the fact that a lot, you know, his later years were kind of def- hindered by that moment regardless. 
thankfully, the Marvel Marvel Universe is in as great of a position as it's ever been, I would argue. The movies are killing it. Avengers 4 was fantastic. Black Panther was progressive, uh, diverse. And we have Captain Marvel coming out with its female lead, and it's going to be a phenomenal film. I'm positive. I'm sure of it. And... Um, it's tough to hear these news always, and I just hope that you know Stan knows that his his work I mean, he knows this, but his work has a lasting impact on all of us, really, in the entertainment community. And that that goes for games as well, not just comic books or television or movies. Games as well. There's no better example of that than Insomniac Spider-Man, which, I mean, really one of the best games I played this year. Really, really phenomenal game. You know, touching on one last thing for this week, we got the nominees for Game of the Year from for the Game Awards, Jeff Keighley's produced event. One of the biggest events in gaming, and, and it's really interesting to see how he's he's really developed himself. This show from, I remember its roots as the VGX. I, I think it had one other name on uh, when it was on Spike TV, and back then it was just VGAs, the Video Game Awards, called the VGAs and the v, VGX. Could be cringeworthy at times, especially when Joel McHale hosted, but we've gotten to a sweet spot, I feel like, where we're finally starting to recognize a lot of the greatness of these games. Um, a colleague of mine, fellow writer, Sam Ardinelli, wrote a piece recently, a couple days back, that uh, kind of, I mean, showed that he was not super happy with the Game Awards. Um, I can't blame him. A lot of his points were really salient. I'll link the article in the, in the written section of this post. But, you know, I think we've come a long way with the Video Game Awards where where we're getting a lot of, hopefully, some good representation from indie developers. And uh, when we're, you know, we're treating this like what an awards ceremony should be. It should honor performances from voice actors and voice actresses. It should honor games both big and small. It should honor games not just the people behind the games that make the games, but also the people that perform at a high level with these games. I have, you know, there are obviously some, some things that need to be ironed out about, about these awards, but it's always exciting to see the nominees in any case. And reading through the list, there are six this year, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Celeste from independent developer Matt Makes Games, God of War, Marvel Spider-Man, Monster Hunter World, and, of course, Red Dead Redemption 2. I've played every one of these games except for Monster Hunter World. I have not finished all of them. Again, as I stated last week, you will see much more of our own personal Game of the Year picks in the in the weeks to come on the Punish Backlog. But I think it's a good list. I'm excited to see, I don't know, what kind of surprises lie in store during the Game Awards. And I'm excited to see what comes out on top. I have a feeling that Red Dead Redemption 2 will do quite well. But, I mean, it's been a really stellar year for games in general. There have been a lot of great games, both indie, non-indie. It's stellar to think of how far we've come as an industry. And, yep, there's work to be done, but huh, it's still exciting to see where we're going to go as an industry, as a medium, right? But, yeah, I just wanted to touch on all those topics. Nothing big happening in the backlog. I picked up Assassin's Creed Odyssey, as I said. Um... Still trucking away at Red Dead Redemption 2 and Horizon Zero Dawn. So, yeah, got my hands full with these open world games heading into Thanksgiving weekend, heading into the Christmas season, other holidays. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, 
Good time to be playing, huh? Good time to be playing. Anyway, thank you for listening. As always, thank you for reading. If you're reading the accompanying portions, I'm going to be trying to get this out on regularly hosted uh, platforms such as iTunes and Spotify and an RSS feed. But So stay tuned for that. Thank you again for watching. I know this episode probably clocked in a little longer than usual, but we had a lot to get through, and I appreciate your patience, and I appreciate sticking with this in general. As always, this is Weekend to Dave's. I am David Silbert, signing off.